Brunson drives inside, puts it up, puts it in! Brunson drives, pulls up, jump shot, got it! Jalen Brunson, born to play basketball, it's a four-point lead! Shot clock at 10, Brunson drives, foul, shot is up, can it, and one! Jalen Brunson with another answer, and the Knicks are back up by one! The Nichols quick! Certainly a big week going into the Super Bowl. You got Patrick Mahomes on the grandest of stages once again meeting the 49ers. It'll be a rematch of Super Bowl 54 that was played back in 2020. Uh, And this is the week in between. You get the championship games and you get media week. And then it all comes to a close with the Super Bowl, which this year will be played in Las Vegas. A little less than 48 hours time from right now. Welcome to the latest edition of Sports Today with Peter Jarrett on this Friday February 9th, a little after 7 p.m. on the East Coast. We'll get into, obviously, the Super Bowl. My buddy Pat Pickens from the Game Day is going to jump on to give some betting insight into the game. We'll talk a little hockey as well. Plenty going on around the leagues. A lot of teams, particularly with New York Rangers and the Edmonton Oilers, playing good puck right now. So we'll get into that. Maybe some trade rumors starting to heat up surrounding multiple teams. There's been plenty going on in the NBA as well. And we'll we'll talk about later in the show after we get through um, the, the meat of it, which obviously centers on the Super Bowl, what has happened at this NBA um, trade season, particularly how it impacted these teams that are generally major players, Knicks, Lakers, the Sixers, Celtics, and so on and so forth. So that'll be later in the program. But where I want to start is just some general housekeeping. Obviously, the week in between the championships and then the Super Bowl, you get the Pro Bowl, and they've done a nice job reimagining the Pro Bowl and the the weekend now of events that they, that takes place instead of a contact football game, you, you got the flag football now, which kind of makes a little more sense anyway, because these guys, number one, aren't looking to hurt one another, not, not looking to take shots in a, a glorified all-star scrimmage. And then secondly, you don't have the representation from the two teams that are going to go represent the AFC and the NFC in the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning and Eli Manning get to coach against one another, AFC versus NFC. It's fun. In addition to that, you do get the breaking news. Teams are bringing in players. Teams are 
moving on from players, deciding who they might slap the franchise tag with, where they want to allocate their money, and of course with coaching staffs. So the Giants finally, and it and it was a, it seemed like it was a fairly consistent process. The Giants had plans in place should they lose offensive coordinator Mike Kafka, which did not happen. So he stays on board. That's good there. There's consistency for the Giants at the OC spot moving forward. Who's that particularly good for? Daniel Jones, who you would expect, barring another setback, is going to be the opening week starter under center for the Giants. Like it or lump it, folks, that is the reality. Um, But as far as the Giants really not knowing the future of what might happen with the rest of the staff, while they thought they'd hang on to Kafka, and they did, despite him taking different uh, head coaching interview opportunities, for the most part, the Giants also thought they'd keep their consistency at uh, the defensive coordinator position with Wink, Mart- Wink Martindale. That didn't happen. More on Wink in a second. So the Giants have to go out of house, and they poach Shane Bowen from the Tennessee Titans. Now, Tennessee was an interesting story during the offseason because I don't think anyone expected, with the coaching carousel that takes place on an annual basis, Black Monday, and beyond that date, that the Tennessee Titans would be moving on from Mike Vrabel. But that exactly is exactly what happened. And that opened the door for opportunities to the other teams in the league to potentially poach. The Giants do it. They bring in Bowen, who had been the D.C. in Tennessee from 2021 to 23. So he jumps on board now systematically. Yes, there'll be changes, but Bowen will get to sink his teeth into a defensive roster that, while very good, you put the Giants in the middle of the pack minus some uh, early season woes and, and inconsistencies Uh, early in that season, there's clearly talent on that team and it'll be further developing these young players and that'll be going uh, Bowen's uh, job moving forward. Another big uh, addition the Giants made was moving on from offensive line coach Bobby Johnson. Um, Not reactionary at all. I don't think franchises should and I don't think they necessarily do make moves based on um, the angst of the fan base, but it was no secret that Johnson wasn't overly popular. Uh, lack of development in the eyes of many, and apparently in, in 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 the Giants' front office. So Johnson out, Carmen Brasillo comes aboard uh, to coach this offensive line group. Uh, Twenty-year veteran, five years in the NFL. So here he'll be the offensive line coach for the New York Giants, where development is going to be key, where drafting is going to be key. The Giants are going to have some money, if they, especially if they're able to restructure. Perhaps it's moving on from somebody like Darius Slayton, um, not spending money. Um, you want to be good in the trenches, right? The defensive line, the offensive line, uh, but the allocation of money where the Giants really need it would probably be on that side of the football. Offensively, as it relates to wide receivers, and first and foremost, your offensive line. It's unknown what's going to happen with Saquon Barkley. It is not expected, at least from a report that came out yesterday from ESPN, that he is going to receive the franchise tag for the second straight season. It does not look like that's going to happen. I am in total agreement with that. Let him hit free agency. Saquon Barkley is a nice player, but the team's got a lot of needs, and you can't be dumping money into a position that, quite honestly, we've seen over the last decade plus, going into two decades, has a shorter shelf life. And I, and I think that's factually based. I think we've seen that. Wonderful player, pro bowler, has had a great career when healthy. But if you can move funds and make moves around that, there are teams, i.e. the Kansas City Chiefs, who have proven that you don't necessarily need that lead dog coming out of the backfield to have a successful running game. 
If Daniel Jones is healthy, the Giants have a mobile quarterback. If they have a better offensive line, they'll have a better running game when they have some talent in that backfield to see who they might be able to build around if it's not going to be a Saquon Barkley. So the Giants have finalized their coaching staff. Brasillo to the offensive line, Bowen to coach uh, the defense, Shea Tierney's going to be the passing game coordinator and the QB coach, um, offensive assistant, Christian Dable stays there, Mike Groh coaches the wide receivers, and Christian Jones is going to be the assistant QB coach. So you've got your group, along with Kafka, as now getting promoted to assistant head coach, will remain as the offensive coordinator, and he should have his play-calling duties back. Staying in the division earlier in the week, uh, the Washington Commanders get their next head coach. Uh, the Ron Rivera regi uh, regime and experiment comes to a close after four seasons. Dan Quinn comes aboard from the Dallas Cowboys, where he led uh, the defense that led the league in, in, in turnovers. And that is huge for a Washington team that's trying to reimagine itself, right? That this commander's franchise has been through a lot. Self-inflicted in many parts, past owner Dan Snyder. We don't have to go down and jump off that cliff and discuss this right now. Everybody, know, for the most part, that listen to the show and follow the league know exactly what had, had transpired there. So here comes Dan Quinn led the Falcons a few years back to the Super Bowl and that infamous 28-3 lead that blew up in their face against Tom Brady and the Patriots in overtime. But what is significant here with Dan Quinn now getting another crack at this, and he's been very open about the fact that if I get this next shot, which now he has, with stops in between and a highly successful defensive coordinator stint with the Cowboys, he'll be more prepared for it giving duties to his coaches so he doesn't have to focus on just one side of the ball where he can oversee the entire unit, which is what the best coaches do. So what does D Dan Quinn go out and do? He brings Joe Witt with him from Dallas. He's going to be the defensive coordinator. He was the secondary and defensive passing game coordinator for Dallas from 21 to 23. Nate Kayser is going to coach the special teams unit, was previously with the Jaguars, Titans, and Buccaneers in a similar role. But the biggest news came from who Dan Quinn brought in to coach his offense, and that is 44-year-old Cliff Kingsbury. And if you know anything about Kingsbury and what the commanders have looked like offensively, particularly the last five, six years, this could be a match made in heaven. Kingsbury sat out last season from the coaching ranks after coaching the Cardinals for four years, was fired after the 22 campaign. But if you go back to 2018, when he was the head coach in Arizona, his first season, Kyler Murray's rookie campaign. It's an Arizona offense that was 16th in points, 20th in yards. Wild improvements from year one to year two when they went from 20th in yards to sixth. And you saw some development from Kyler Murray. It is no secret with the, Reds, uh, with the commanders being amongst the worst teams in the league and statistically one of the most putrid offensive units in football for the past six, seven years. With as owners of the second pick in this April's draft, they are looking at quarterback. Whether it be Caleb Williams, whether it be Drake May, maybe they fall in love with a Jaden Daniels and make that leap. But you would have to think now that you have a young, motivated offensive coordinator who knows what he's doing and knows how to develop quarterbacks. This is a dream match here for the new general manager, Adam Peters of the Washington Commanders. Right, And he's got experience being in that San Francisco front office where they clearly and very obviously, as evidenced by the fact that they're playing in another Super Bowl, know what they're doing. 
So this is significant. It could, it might take some time to get your feet wet, but this is something commanders, their fan base, the ownership group now needed to see. You have something to look forward to, and you legitimately have now an offensive coordinator who's going to be able to run the type of scheme he wants to with a head coach that has recently said he's going to let him do it. So this is big for the commanders and how it shapes out. Uh, we will definitely be able to keep an eye on. But this is big news coming out of the nation's capital from a a commander's franchise that has basically been a doormat um, the last couple of seasons. Uh, we have our first caller of the day, uh, Mike on the line. Mike, what's up? Hey, Pete, how you doing? What's going on? I tell you, this is the most interesting draft in years. And, and if I'm the Giants, I sit back. I, everybody says they have to pick quarterback. But this team needs so much. I tell you, there are certain players that have fallen in my lap. Like if Henderson falls in my lap, I take him. And I could, I think you can get a decent quarterback second round in this draft. Yeah, I, I, I think outside of perhaps be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the Bears do at number one because they have the pick from Carolina. Uh, and now it's going to be what does their – GM Ryan Poles want to do um, is he going to roll with Fields or sit on one of these guys like a Williams or a May? The Commanders are in that spot as well, and so are the Patriots. Those are your top three picks, and all three of those teams could be going quarterback. And I agree with you from the Giants' perspective. Daniel Jones is going to be the starter next season. That is an absolute fact. Barring yes. a setback and injury, that is the way the contract was structured when they gave him the four-year deal because in that literature, in that contract, that legal document that binded Jones to the Giants, if it didn't work after two years, the Giants weren't going to have egg on their face. So they can get out of this. So instead of that being $160 million and Giant Nation having a, a collective heart attack, $40 million a year is a lot, but you can get out after two. Now, the caveat there is, hey – Daniel Jones is a season off throwing for 22 touchdowns, rushing for another seven, and leading the Giants to a playoff victory after years of just being an utter malaise. So, no, I don't necessarily think the Giants need to be swinging for the fences and grabbing a quarterback when they pick in this first round because as it sits, the Giants will have the sixth pick in the draft. I mean, and you said it, you need a, a plethora of things to make this the, the machine that it was uh, at the end of the Tom Coughlin era, I, I, mean, Mike, you, I could maybe line help, O line help, edge rushers. They need a lot. I could actually maybe move down a couple of slots. I love the kid from Notre Dame, Walt. I think he's a terrific player. He's not going to go top five. Maybe I drop a couple of slots and take him. He would fit the mold of what they were looking for as someone who could shift to both sides of the line. Um, but And the Giants will have that decision there um, because for all intents and purposes, while that offensive line got better down the stretch, it is nowhere near the type of unit that you can trot out there and say that you are a legitimate, forget about Super Bowl contender, playoff contender right now. True. So well, we will see um, – and Mike, thank you for the phone call as always. Uh, but you you can you can see how this shapes out, or based on some of the decisions the Giants have made, and it's and it's with their 
coaching hires with Bowen coming aboard. Hey, you might want to grab an edge rusher, a defensive tackle in the draft in free agency. You're probably looking at what you might have to do at running back. Should you be moving on from Saquon Barkley? Because he's going to hit free agency. The Giants are not going to tag him. And odds are they're not going to sign him. So he's going to hit free agency and he's going to be gone. I mean, is it an Eric Gray who looked good in spots? Rita? In the draft? And there's good running backs coming out of the draft. And this is a conversation that we'll be able to get to uh, as we get closer to that April draft. But yeah, as Mike said, it's you don't have to fall in love at six, nor do I think the Giants will. Because again, you don't have to be a Daniel Jones lover to see that having a revolving door at offensive coordinator, having a terrible offensive line, doesn't help the fact that he sometimes makes questionable decisions on his own with the football. And I think you saw that in spots last year. But the fact that you had, folks, you had two basically starting quarterbacks for the New York Giants and Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor go out with similar injuries in the same game. Now, I'm referencing the Miami Dolphins loss in Miami midseason. The two of them took a collective beating, and they're two fairly mobile quarterbacks. That's bad offensive line play. And you look around the league, there are a lot of putrid offensive lines. Giants are right there at the top. So I would be focusing my attention there. You know, for Marvin Harrison, if you were able to do something to move up to grab, yes, the Giants need an alpha wide receiver. But you've got to bulk up this offensive line. Personally, I think that should be done via free agency for the meat part of it. But if you want to go get a youngster in the draft like an old, like an Olu Fashanu from Penn State, someone of that caliber, great, and then rebuild via free agency, I think that's the way to go. Same deal. There are guys that you can move on from, like a Darius Slayton, that can alleviate some of or create even more cap space than what you have uh, at the moment, which is just north of about $20 million. Um, so the Giants will have the opportunity. Uh, maybe it's moving on from someone like a Dory Jackson to create more cap space. There's plenty of time to talk about this, and we certainly will. Uh, just quickly, some really cool news came out of the league as well. Uh, the Eagles are going to become the first American football team next season to play an NFL game in Brazil when they touch down. Opponent time, location, outside of it being in Brazil is unknown, but that's pretty cool. Shortly after that news comes out, and this, oh, by the way, was during the same week that the world discovered that the 2026 FIFA World Cup final is going to be played in New Jersey at MetLife Stadium. <laughs> and I'll tell you this now. They better be more prepared than they were for when the Seattle Seahawks and Denver Broncos played that first cold weather outdoor Super Bowl a couple years ago when the, when the Seahawks hammered the Broncos. Because mass transit in and out of that parking lot, game day events, weekend events were a nightmare. And the, the viewership for the World Cup versus the Super Bowl is times seven. So you've got the amenities there in New Jersey. Now they've got to figure out how to best utilize it because that last Super Bowl that they played there, uh, I based on that, it's probably never going to happen again. So you had that news coming out 
about the 26 World Cup final being played in Jersey. Eagles are going to go to Brazil. And then later in the week, yesterday, on Thursday, the NFL in 2025 is going to go play American football in Madrid, Spain. So the NFL and Roger Goodell, as, as we all know, have been looking to expand not just in the 50 states, but growth around the globe. So you've had games in Mexico, Germany. You'll have Brazil, games in the UK. Now you're going to get the game in Spain. So this international footprint continues to grow for the NFL, and it grows a game that is already widely popular as it is. So it's pretty cool uh, when you see things like that, that the Eagles, we don't know the opponent just yet, are going to go out and play next season in Brazil. And then 2025, the NFL is going to touch down and play a regular season game in Madrid, Spain. Obviously, two countries that are known for um, international football. They're going to get our brand of football as well. And I mentioned Mick Wink Martindale. He's going to take the defensive coordinator job at the University of Michigan. And from a Michigan standpoint, this makes sense. Because they'll be able to keep the system that they were rolling with with Jim Harbaugh and company in place for the most part with that 3-4 schematic. So Wink Martindale out of the NFL is going to take the college reins as Michigan looks to reimagine itself as now Jim Harbaugh after winning a national title and going to three consecutive college football playoffs recently took the job with the LA Chargers. So Plenty going on across the league and around the league, and it led us into the final game of the season, which is going to be Super Bowl 58, a rematch if uh, of sorts between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. With you, with you every week. Sports Today with Peter J. So you got the Niners, you got the Chiefs, grandest of stages, Sunday, February 11th, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. CBS will anchor the coverage. You'll get Nance, you'll get Romo. The Niners right now, a point and a half favorite, uh, over under set at 47 and a half on the money line. I think the Chiefs were plus 101. Um, so Pat Pickens is going to jump on in a little bit and join us to t- uh, from the game day to talk about uh, some of the biggest bets that you can kind of hit your wagons to uh, this weekend. In addition to the outrights, the over under the money line, there's so always fun prop bets with the Super Bowl, uh, and that makes it one of the most enjoyable sporting events each and every year. But when you talk about this game, it's a, it's a rematch of the 2020 contest with differences, right? With some shades of gray. So you've got Patrick Mahomes. Yes, he's back, looking for title number three. The last time Kansas City played San Francisco in the Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo was under center for the Niners. And those of you, I mean, it's not we're not going back that far to 2020. You're watching this game, and San Francisco was in control. Up 20 to 10, 11-plus minutes to go in the game. And then here really came, as good as that season was, the official birth of Patrick Mahomes. Right? Chiefs hadn't won a Super Bowl since 1969, 1970. So here comes Patrick Mahomes and company reeling off 21 consecutive points over a, a less than seven-minute span, and they get the victory 31-20. to 20. You heard some of the highlights of that 2020 Super Bowl uh, in the opening package. So that was a game 
where you really saw how dangerous and how good this Kansas City unit was. Now, what do we, what else? In addition to Jimmy Garoppolo now being in Vegas, no Tyreek Hill, who was the alpha dog in addition to Travis Kelsey for that Kansas City passing offense. Kelsey obviously still here coming off uh, you know a two-touchdown performance a couple of weeks ago in the divisional round in the win at Buffalo. And this is a Chiefs team that rolls into this game playing as well as they have all season. But what is different about this Kansas City team, outside of the Mahomes-Kelsey duo, which is still magical and legendary, you, you, you don't often see a duo like this, and you may never see one like this again. But the difference between this Kansas City team or the biggest difference, I should say, is that this Chiefs team is getting it done with defense. As good as Mahomes is, to ad-lib and to create on the move. We've seen that his entire career. It's no accident that this is a Kansas City team that has now been to six straight AFC Championship games. And they're playing for their second straight Super Bowl title. Obviously, you're not here without Patrick Mahomes. But the beauty of this with Kansas City this season, well-documented issues with that wide receiving core. Outside of Travis Kelsey. Now, Rishi Rice has come on and been great. The second rounder out of SMU. He's had a hell of a season. But the struggles were well-documented early on. The drops, the inconsistencies, the penalties. But because you had the stability at quarterback, the always reliant Travis Kelsey, even though he was he had his ups and downs mostly due to injury toward the midway point of the season, this is a team... Chris Jones and company, defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo, who's one of the best to ever do it as a defensive mastermind. They're beating people with defense. Case in point, what they did in the AFC Championship game two weeks ago in Baltimore. 17-10 victory. I mean, Lamar Jackson was going to win the league MVP regardless of what happened in that game, and he did the other night. And he deserved it. He had a hell of a season. But he was basically rendered useless and confused, not because he wasn't up for the moment, not because, obviously, he doesn't have the ability, but because that Kansas City defense played its best game of the season. They got into that backfield, they were able to put pressure, and they surrounded a quarterback who relies on mobility and using his great vision down the field. While he threw a nice touchdown pass early in the game to tie it at 7 to Zay Flowers, outside of that, Baltimore was able to do nothing offensively. And it was explicitly because of that Kansas City defense. Now, Baltimore basically did the same thing to Kansas City. That's why the final score was 17-10. But because they were able to go on the road, bring that defense, and defense can travel, as we have seen. That is why Kansas City, once again, is playing for a Super Bowl title. It is because of their defense. Now, when you look at the San Francisco 49ers, down 24-7 two weeks ago at half to the Detroit Lions, I'm sitting there watching the game, and, I, and I'm and i actually thinking to myself, I'm texting my buddies, and I'm saying, hey, listen, I know we're going into the break here. It's 24-7. Coming out of the third quarter, this game could get out of hand. And that was something that I don't think too many people were prepared for to say, hey, the Lions are going to put it on San Francisco at home. They're a play away from running away with this thing. And it just never materialized. Sure. A lot of the talk surrounds not taking three when you're up 24-7 and going for it on fourth down, you get a drop pass. 
going for it later on fourth down again and not converting that. I get it all. But the fact of the matter is that this was a 49ers team that outscored that Detroit team who was basically kicking their ass for the entire game, 27-7. to And that's why we're where we are with a rematch, sort of, of this 2020 Super Bowl. So you've got two teams that know how to win, are battle-tested, have two very good defenses, but the difference here, what makes this matchup difference is this freight train in the San Francisco offense probably has not seen a defense like they will see against Kansas City. And anytime you usually talk about the Chiefs, it's the offense. And as good as Mahomes is, we're talking about the defense here. With that, I'll bring in Pat Pickens, my buddy from the game day. Pat, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, bud, can you hear me? You got me? I got you. Yeah, what's going on, dude? I I know you're busy. (laughs) I'm doing good. How are you, man? Awesome. I, you know, it's, I I just got finished saying it took, uh, talking, doing a little housekeeping duty with the Giants, finalizing the coaching Mm -hmm. staff, everything that Dan Quinn is doing already in Washington with bringing in uh, Witt and Kingsbury. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's amazing that you talk about a Kansas City Chiefs team. And it almost seems, and I'm, and I emphasize almost that as good as he's been, as good as the duo of Kelsey and Mahomes has been, you're putting them on the back burner because this Kansas City Chiefs defense is the the real reason that they're playing against Sunday, Pat. Man, I, you know, it's wild to think you're right. You're completely right, 100. percent Because you look at what they're doing um, and what they've done. I mean, what they've been arguably more impressive in the playoffs, right? Like, cause they, yeah. they gave up 10 to Baltimore. They gave, I mean, my, the weather obviously was a mitigating factor with the Miami game. So you sort of throw that one out and they played that, that epic against the bills, but, and, and, you know, the Ravens choke all the time. So I guess, you know, that offense, <laughs> but like, but it's, 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 it's funny because like I, I was pointing to that spot, to that spot where Detroit won in Kansas city on opening night. Right. And that we were all looking forward to that rematch potentially against Detroit, Kansas city. Yeah, and uh, and everybody put out like Chris Jones didn't play in that game, and they were it was twenty one twenty, and Kelsey didn't play; he was injured too. And you look at sorry, I got a, a, a helicopter flying over my head here. Uh, they, uh, it's it's their defense has been outstanding all year. Like they 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 dominated Jacksonville in Jacksonville. They dominated, you know, they've been dominant all playoffs. Chris Jones is a madman; has been on a mission. Oh, it's but what's but what's interesting and what I keep coming back to with this matchup, we get this matchup and you know we'll tease the props a bit, is their run defense has been a little spotty this year and and in the playoffs especially they're giving up like 113 rushing yards a game in the playoffs, and you know I, I keep point I they they you could say, make the case they thoroughly dominated Baltimore all the way but like. It was a seven-point game, and Baltimore had two turnovers in the end zone. One of them was a fumble where Zay Flowers is diving for the goal line. Like, yes, th- that's a tie game. That's Baltimore winning the AFC potentially. We're talking about here instead of now. You can make the case that yeah, scoring touchdowns is hard, and they you know you play to the last inch of the end zone for sure. But like, um, you know, there is a spot. The, the the Chiefs' defense has been awesome and way more valuable than their offense all season and certainly all postseason. But the weather was the mitigating factor against Miami, and Miami was sort of toast, had fallen off a cliff. Buffalo, they gave up the 24 points and uh, and would have, you know, were a missed field goal away essentially from overtime and, and potentially losing there. And then there are two turnovers in the end zone. So, like, for as impressive as it, it looks on paper, they're giving up a ton of rushing yards. And they've, you know, they've forced the turnovers when it's matter, but you can't necessarily count on that all the time. 
And I think that's when when you look at it defensively and, and going back to that AFC championship game, Pat, I, I've played it over and over. I've seen the highlights. I still can't believe as much as I love him. And I, and I, I haven't met too many fans of Lamar Jackson who don't have a yeah. dog in the fight like I do. Yeah. I still cannot believe that he threw that pass into the end zone like that. I, I just, I don't, and I'm not, I don't ever quite, you know, I fire no. this guy, cut this guy no. for doing things that I can't do. I just don't know what he was trying to do in a one-on-three situation. No I mean, that's idea. A, forget about a game changer. You know, that's a game. You, you cost yourself there. Well, not only that, but like, it's just like, and not, you can't, like you said, you can't, it's hard to second guess here because um, you know, you don't know what he's seeing. You don't know what he's going. Like, exactly. But, but it, it just fuels the fire that he can't, deliver when it counts like when yeah. you make a decision that terrible and I like you said that and I was going through my head when you described the pick I'm trying to see it in my head and I saw it perfectly with the three Chiefs players surrounding like it is a baffling decision but um and like you know I don't I don't love the term choker because guys are yeah. chokers until they aren't right mm-hmm. like and uh and Lamar had a obviously the MVP of the league and then he had that huge game against Houston running the ball and throwing the ball but, uh, you know, it, it becomes harder to argue against a guy is not a choker when it makes a decision like that. Again, especially that was his, that was their, I think that was their second red zone turnover or second turnover in the end zone. I think the flower, yeah. I, for, I forget the, the, chrono, the chronology of the two, but um, it makes it hard to defend when you're against people who are going to say, well, this guy doesn't come up big in the big spot because like, what, <laughs> what kind of decision was that? But exactly. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to say Kansas City was lucky to get there by any means because, you know, you said it, you're right. Their defense has made t- plays. They shut down offenses. They've, But, you know, you're talking about, like I said, you know, two turnovers in the end zone and a, miss, and a you know, Tyler Bass wide right. Potentially from them have been out, you know, could have been out far earlier. And I mean, and look, I, I love the matchup. I, I'm a little disappointed it's not Detroit because I would have loved to hear what the Detroit people have to say, but it's hard to argue against the matchup in terms of the Niners and chiefs. Cause you know, the Niners for my money, you know, I know the Ravens dismantled them on Christmas, but like that's the Niners have been the best team in football all year, especially when they're healthy. Like when Debo Samuel's healthy, they're a completely different animal. Yeah. And Christian McCaffrey is, is so much fun to watch. And, and uh, you know, it's hard not to marvel at Brock Purdy just as the last pick in his draft year, turning into a Super Bowl quarterback and their defense is loaded um, I, I think they've been, for my money, they've been the best team all year and people want to watch Patrick Mahomes. Like, and people want, and, and apparently they only want to do is talk about Taylor Swift, which we'll get, <laughs> yeah. we can get to in a minute, but like, yeah. I feel like I've been talking about her nonstop, but, um, I, I, there's, you could, it'd be hard to handpick a better matchup for a broader audience. I think that's why the tickets prices are so crazy. I think that's why you're going to see a huge TV rating on Monday or Tuesday, whenever the TV come out. And I, 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 it's, I, I say this every year. We it's Friday before the Super Bowl, and I, like, just let's kick the game off. Let's get it going. Let's do it now. <laughs> Sometimes you almost forget that they still have to play a game. Yeah, for sure. You know, yep. uh, look, look, I am of the mindset here. And especially when you, when you tease to the fact that this Kansas city team, like you said, does have some questions there in the run defense mm-hmm. where it's kind of the opposite with what San Francisco has yep. now. You know, offensively, Debo healthier. The shoulder seems to be okay. He's a running and a pass-catching threat against mm-hmm. the Chiefs' second and third uh, levels. You've talked about Purdy. Uh, I think he's the third youngest to make a start in the Super Bowl at 24 years old, Mr. Wow. Irrelevant. Mm-hmm. All the storylines there. I'm of the mindset here, Pat. I've got a 28-24 game going against San Francisco because I can't learn my lesson 
and and finally pick the Kansas City Chiefs. I've and it's not yeah. like I'm a, a Chiefs railroader. I'm not yep. saying that. I am very up with the times. I get it. There was just something in in the beginning of the playoffs where we we saw how loud their their wide receiving core could be. Pacheco finally turned it yep. on, but you hadn't seen that. Yep. And this was a Chiefs team that I was struggling to buy because I fell for it. You, yeah. It's hard to pick against Patrick Mahomes, but if it's gonna happen, Pat, I you know I think it is this very complete from top to bottom San Francisco team. I, I like them twenty eight twenty four. What do you say? I think it might be lower scoring than that. I I agree. With, you know, I I would echo exactly what you just said, and and I feel like I'm gonna if I'm wrong, people are gonna let me hear about it all next week because. I, I'm completely with you 100%. Like, and, and I've had conversations with coworkers about this, about friends, and obviously with other people. Is I my eyes saw the Chiefs all season. They were great defensively. They were a little bit spotty against the run all season. They were, you know, they lost some games they should have won. Frankly, um, when uh, it, you know, it's in some bad, you know, they put themselves in some bad spots. You know, they obviously the Buffalo game coming yeah. to mind with the like Kadarius Tony and I mean it's still Marquez Valdez Scantling you know he lost they lost the game against Philadelphia at home on Monday night and I my eyes don't so I again I just said for my money the Niners have been the best team in football season and they're the most complete team and the Joe Tooney you know he's out now is uh is going to be a huge loss for them especially against a team like San Francisco can pin it, pin their ears back with Nick Bosa and Chase Young and and who with such dominant linebackers. Oh, Drake um, Greenlaw, Drake Greenlaw, and, yeah. and, and Fred, Fred Warner. Yeah, Fred Warner is amazing, incredible. Like the the motor on both of those guys is, is exceptional. And I just keep having this vision of Patrick Mahomes running for his life against the Bucks in the in the COVID Super Bowl, where the Buccaneers defense got after him. And and he again, I just see him in my head running for his life and having that be the the theme again Monday, where we're talking about you know the Niners' rushing game, controlling the clock early, and we talk about you know Kansas City's receivers being exposed. You know, I love Rishi Rice, the rookie; he's terrific. Ditto. Chelsea is awesome, like definitely Hall of Famer. There's no question about it. But I just have this vision of. Uh, again, Mahomes, uh, Mahomes running for his life against Bosa, and I just keep thinking that, you know, we Kyle Shanahan's so maligned and deservedly so all these years, you know, chokes when it counts, can't protect quarterbacks, um, you know, gags in a big spot, and this just feels different. The way they won the game, especially that game against the Packers in the divisional round, and certainly the way they won that game against the Lions and the championship game down 17 at halftime, and and left for dead and the lions fans were feeling it. And, and they, you know, the, it was eerily quiet at the park and then everything turned like, again, it's one of those moments where you're a choker until you're not. And it just feels like this is the year for Kyle Shanahan to get the monkey off his back. I think if I were to guess, I would say like, maybe I would say like 28, 17, maybe, maybe not that high scoring, but I, I, uh, and again, if, if the chiefs win, I'll hear about it because I've been very adamant, talking about this is not a quarterback versus a quarterback. This is a team versus a team. Yep. And the Niners have been the team all year from week one. And again, they had that three week blip where they lost to Cleveland, Minnesota 
and the third game is escaping me, but they, you know, without, um, and Cincinnati and it was Debo Samuel was absent in all those games. McCaffrey was banged up, but, and again, they had that slip up at home against the Ravens, but since he, since Debo has gotten back, they've been pretty unstoppable. And, uh, and there, I just think they'll often, the offensive deficiencies will catch up with Mahomes is my, is my thought. And they'll have a hard time protecting him, and that's that. I mean, again, if and if, and 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 I agree, I'm not a Mahomes hater at all. I like the guy. I love watching him play. Love the Chiefs. You know, no ill will towards the Chiefs at all. Um, you know, no, the run isn't dead. The run isn't over. He's, you know, they're an exceptional team. If the Chiefs win, you know, Andy Reid probably wants should go out on top. I mean, I'm definitely not one of these like Chiefs haters. Chief, you know, I, I'm a fan of watching them. Like I said, I before it's it's a great matchup. I just think that the Niners have been the most complete team. And again, it's not a, it's not a quarterback versus quarterback. You take Mahomes every time it's a team versus a team and, and the Niners are the better team. Exactly. Yeah. I'm with you. So, uh, so we seem to be in lockstep there. Yeah. Uh, and again, this, you, you mentioned that the, the Niners Ravens game, that was the four pick game for Purdy. That was clearly an anomaly. I mean, he was yeah. a 24 year old kid. He had an MVP caliber season, mm-hmm. whether people want to admit it or not. All right. So let's get down to the, um, uh, the brass, packs. the betting stuff, right? <laughs> You've got a, uh, the Niners, as we sit now, minus one and a half. The over/under, I guess, if my prediction went through, would be over at forty-seven and a half. Now, I like twenty-eight, twenty-four, something to the tune of that. So let's get this one out of the way, Pat. Is there a prop bet that exists somewhere, or even in your universe over at the game day, that revolves around how many times per se Taylor Swift will be shown on camera? We have It's got to be a bet, right? We haven't come across it, but I, but I say this, and I'll put in a little plug for DraftKings because DraftKings has an entire section of, of Super Bowl special bets themed after Taylor Swift songs. So the one that I picked, <laughs> I, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I figured you would have, but just for the for the, for the betting public, my my preferred one was uh, I believe was called Antihero, which was Brock Purdy over 250 passing yards and over one and a half touchdowns. Uh, throwing the ball, I think. Um, I think I sort of said what's going to happen. What I feel is going to happen. Um, you know, the over under for Purdy yards, I think, is like two forty eight and a half. I think, um, if I if I remember correctly, the 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 Forty Niners uh, are something like nine and three when Purdy throws for two hundred fifty plus yards this season. Obviously, the three losses are a little disconcerting um, because they came. You know, then you get behind the the score effects and the, and the, the past heavy game script, which if you're thinking it's going to be the Niners, you think they're going to run the ball. I got to think that um, they're, they're going to, the chiefs are going to try and limit McCaffrey, especially down towards the red zone. Um, first of all, I think 250 yards for, for Purdy is a lock, uh, even against the Kansas city secondary. But I also think the two touchdowns is going to be, is, is, is pretty safe because um it's going to be intermediate, you know, as, as San Francisco opens up running the ball, they're going to play action pass, maybe get some intermediate stuff. Uh, love George Kittle, love Debo Samuel. Brandon Ayuk has been in, had a really nice season. Big time. Uh, I think, I think there's, there's definitely, I think that if I were, you know, I picked 28, 17, I would say to map the game out would be two touchdown passes from Purdy, two rushing touchdowns from McCaffrey. And, uh, and, Definitely 250 plus passing yards because I think I think uh, that would be my t- that's my Taylor Swift themed bet that I put in. Um, so that's so we're we're getting into the betting. I really you know I I really love McCaffrey's over rushing yards. I already said that. Um, 
it, it's going off at about 90 and I think it's 90 and a half last I checked. Um, so I think, you know, again, the chiefs are giving up 113 and a half. If I'm yeah. Not I'd be it's sitting about, it's over about, there too. Yeah. It's, a, it's about 113 rushing yards per game in the playoffs and in the regular season. So this is not just a playoffs only trend. This is a, a season long trend. They're giving up 113 rushing yards. McCaffrey is obviously the bell, the, the bell cow back. Um, he, you know, Elijah Mitchell's prop number of rush carries, rush carries, carries is sitting at about one and a half. And uh, Purdy obviously can run the ball himself, but uh, I think his uh, his over under of rush yards is like 11 and a half. So if, if McCaffrey's going to do the damage within the running attack for the 49ers, he's going to get most of the carries. And my my thought is he's going to there's going to be a run heavy game script, especially early as they establish it. And, and if they get the lead late too, to try and seal it away. So I think 90 and a half over 90 and a half for McCaffrey is a, is a, is a pretty, you know, it's a high number to clear and McCaffrey has not, he's, he didn't, he has, he's one and one against that number in the playoffs, but he had 90 rushing yards against um, in one of the games. I can't remember if it was Detroit or green Bay, but, um, and, and the thing about that is, which is remarkable is that he had 90 plus rushing yards in both games and they were behind in both games. So, uh, the fact that he still surpassed 90 rushing yards when they were playing catch up in both games leads me to believe that if they're playing from ahead, he'll far exceed 90 and a half. And I think that's, that's pretty safe. Uh, certainly McCaffrey anytime touchdown, but I don't think there's much value to it. Last I checked, it was like about minus 230, which implies about 67% chance of happening. But at the same rate, there's the payouts not good enough to really take it. If you want to take him to take two, two plus touchdowns, I, I can't say I know the odds on that, but, that would be certainly more lucrative and I think more and certainly uh, attainable for McCaffrey. Um, you know, I, if I'm not mistaken, Pete, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think he had th- we had three touchdowns against Detroit and, and Mitchell even bulgered one from him. So uh, they, he, he's, and he, and you watch him down near the goal line and he's exceptional. Uh, I would say if you want to see McCaffrey multi-touchdown would be, would certainly be, Attainable, and actually, I'll throw one in for Kansas City too, yeah. which I really, which I really like. Which is again, it's it's flirting with catastrophe here because uh, you're you're betting against Mahomes. Is Mahomes to throw an interception? Um, is going off at about minus one fifteen, so it's over zero and a half interceptions. <clears throat> Excuse me, Mahomes has four picks in three career Super Bowls. Two, two in the win against the Niners, two in the loss to Tampa Bay. He hasn't thrown an interception in his past six playoff games. So he's he's due, fundamentally, if you believe in due. And, uh, you know, he's def- there's definitely a case to be made. Um, where the, Again, if I think my thought is the Niners defense is going to harass him uh, all night. And if I feel that way, I think he, taking him to throw an interception at minus 115 is my Mahomes play. Uh, so I, uh, that's the one I, re- I really like as far as the prop. And I'll, I'll throw it in. I mean, I, I love – I'm a heads preference person, if you want to talk about do. So I took heads on the coin toss. I'm not proud of the fact that I bet the coin toss, frankly. I'm sure my mom <laughs> It's the most popular prop bet. I'm sure my mom wouldn't be proud of me either. But uh, seven of the last ten coin tosses have been tails. And for my money – Heads, I'm always a heads player anyway in terms of heads versus tails, and for me, heads is due. So that's those are the props I'm really targeting. Uh, I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to go over prop related, but that was if you had. A, but I, I I preempted you there a little bit. 
and a lot of them can and the the ones you bring up too it's it, it doesn't mean that you have to just sit on right. like 100 bucks and throw it on McCaffrey folks mm-hmm. to go over 91 yards you could take these and and especially on DraftKings you could parlay them into what's yep. called a, a single game parlay yeah uh, an SGP and that's a nice mm-hmm. little package but McCaffrey over 90 and a half yards rushing Purdy 249 and a half throwing and and uh essentially two touchdowns at one and a half um, yeah. yeah, I think that's a nice three-legger to go with. And yeah. if you want to take it a step further, if you're in love with the 49ers, throw them on the money line. Because yeah. at one and a half, this is basically an, an exaggerated version of Vegas making the game a pick em, which they're not going to do in the Super Bowl. Right. Sure. So, yeah. And, you, and you, you have a lower, I think, over, over at 47 and a half. I might say over, but I would think the majority of people with that, they're almost begging you to take the, un, uh, the, the under. Yeah, and you know that you mentioned the Chiefs defense, and I, I, both these defenses are very good. They're top five defenses, and you, you to, to the point you've made, you know, if there's going to be a run heavy game, like <clears throat> Mahomes, <clears throat> Mahomes hasn't, they haven't had much success throwing the ball. I mean, they have in the playoffs with Rice and, and Kelsey, but they, you know, it's been they've played fast games. I wouldn't be stunned to see this be, I mean, for Super Bowl standards, be a shortish, fastish kind of game, um, where you know there's. To get you, you look up, you blink, and you're like, "Oh, it's a two minute warning already." Yeah. Because there's just going to be a lot of running. I think that's the way the teams want to play, and that's the way you know. Again, Kansas City gives up the run, the the uh, the yards in the rushing game. I think there is a spot for um, Kansas City to exploit to exploit the Niners secondary. But the the other reason why I love the Mahomes interception prop is the Niners actually tied for the lead in interceptions in the league. They had 22 was tied with the Bears during the regular season. So they, you know, they ball hawking secondary. You got to think they're going to try and um, you know, they might have trouble running the ball. I love Pacheco, man. He's he's a great runner and he's fun he's to watch. He's great in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. But it's got against that front and against that linebacker core. You got to think it's, yards are going to be hard to come by. And, uh, and it's going to force Mahomes to air it out a little bit more than. I think that to be a little less balanced than they'd prefer is my thought. So that, you know, it's going to leave more opportunities for intercept again, for a team with a ball hawking secondary with 22 interceptions during the regular season. Oh, look, there's a lot you could do with this type of game. And that's yeah. why we had Pat on today from, yeah. from the, the, the betting analysis aspect of this. Um, so, you know, I, Pat and I are right there. We, we like the Niners to win the game. He's a little lower scoring. He likes the under. I might go over, though. I, that's something that I'll have to think about. But as of mm-hmm. right now, something to the tune of 28-24 uh, in my universe. Pat likes it a little low. All right. I like I like your score. I like because you. I like the points. I want the points. I just I think the defense are a little bit better. Yeah, we had 38-35 Eagles-Chiefs last year, and those were two good defenses as well, particularly yeah. Philly. So, uh, you know, it, there's no rules here. I mean, anything can yep. happen when you get to yep. this point, when you're laying it all on the line. Yep. Uh, I, Pat, I do want to talk some hockey, but I want to start uh, with your book. We've talked about it on the show before, Pat's book, The Whalers, The Rise, Fallen, Enduring Mystique of New England's second greatest NHL franchise like me. Uh, <laughs> you can get the book on Amazon and some other outlets. But, Pat, what you told me during the week I did not know is that the success of this book, which anyone that knows you comes as no surprise, especially <laughs> given your passion for hockey and your knowledge depth of it. But the fact that this book is now being parlayed, if we can use that term, into mm-hmm. a documentary. Uh, mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that, because I know you said in the New York, New Jersey area, it's going to air on SNY, which is, among other things, the home of the New York Mets, which is awesome. Yeah, we're real excited about it. I'm actually in Raleigh right now, uh, which is why I'm not able to access the odds because sports betting is not will not go live in North Carolina. 
until uh, March for well, March 11th, I think it's going to go live. But, um, but yeah, no, it's been a wild ride. You know, we're, we're down in North Carolina. They're having their annual, I think it's the fifth annual Whalers night tomorrow. They're going to host the Devils. So I'm excited to see the Devils live um, play tomorrow in, down here in Raleigh. It's, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been a, a crazy ride. You know, it's, I remember, you know, we, you and I spoke years ago when I was working on the book and it was something that was labor evolved. It was something that took a lot of hard work, took me 10 years to complete. And the book is great. You know, the, the book was, was really super thrilling to have when it came out. It was super exciting to announce. And now this project for the, for the film is just even more exciting because uh, I keep saying it's this sort of, the book is this, has been an exercise in individualism and what I am capable of doing. You know, I booked all my own sources. I did all my own travel that was required. Or, you know, I got people on the record to tell me things. Uh, Peter Carmanos, the, the owner who moved the team, we, uh, we had a, went to Detroit to talk to him, which was really cool. But the film has been this incredible ride in, in collaboration because um, it's just, I, you know, and it's built relationships, you know, versus you talk to someone on the phone and then you, versus having to film them in person is, is, is a completely different animal. So we just were down in Raleigh. We, we interviewed Skip Cunningham today, this morning, the, uh, the longtime equipment manager for the team. He spent 50 years in the organization amazing um, from you know between hartford and and carolina uh you know we've got a bunch we've recorded a bunch of interviews already with uh with kevin Deneen and and uh, dean evison it's funny we got evison when he was still the coach of the wild and then a, a month later or two months later he was fired and it was such a it was such a serendipitous moment but also felt for evison because he was so excited to be to have us interviewing him and and uh, to talk about the Whalers, that's, that I think is the cool common, common thread of everybody we talk to, whether it's former, you know, any of the former players, any of the former coaches, like all the former players turned, you know, some titans in the game, you know, guys like uh, Ray Ferraro and Ron Francis and Kevin Deneen and, you know, Dean Evison, who was a coach or, or, um, you know, we're talking to Ulf Samuelson eventually. And we haven't, we haven't recorded them all. We've booked a, a ton, you know, we talked to Stu Grimson or, or other guys who are both either in media or coaching or broadca or broadcasting or, uh, you know, agents. And they're the, they're, they all have some tie to the Whalers. They all play for the Whalers. And the coolest part about it is that they just love to talk about their time in Hartford, I think is one of the most fascinating parts is that, you know, there's this perception and Pete, you know, you're, you're a comparable age to me where you kind of probably remember of a team in Hartford and yeah, how sure. it sort sort of seems sec you know in, in hindsight it's nostalgia it seems a little goofy and second rate to some degree but don't say that to the players who played there and, and made it their home for their careers you know Kevin Deneen and Ron Francis met their wives in Connecticut Joel Quenville who we spoke with for the book who's sort of trying to get back into hockey uh, met his wife in, in Connecticut and that it was an important place for a lot of people um, you know we talked to Pat Verbeek the the general manager of the Anaheim Ducks who is. Yeah um a former whaler and he you know he got us in the middle of a a lull in his schedule and it was in california he was in anaheim we, we were out there in november so it's it's a really incredible ride to, and it's something that i don't i still can't believe because i mean i'm a writer i've been a writer by trade since i got out of college in 2007 or since you know i was in college before that and covering hockey and i love the sport i love the history um, and I love the stories and I love, you know, learn, I just keep saying I'm a, sort of addicted to learning to some degree, but that this story that we could turn this at first to produce a book was, was something beyond my comprehension. Cause it was never a goal of mine. Cause I never thought I could do it. 
And then, you know, to turn it into a film is just forget it. Like, we're like, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not capable of it. And yet through some great, you know, the partnership with my alma mater, Sacred Heart University, and, uh, and some uh, credible partners who I'm currently in Raleigh with right now, and obviously the work, you know, the people at SNY who are so grateful that uh, they are taking a chance on us and, and any sort of distribution we get for, henceforth, like even like just the fact that we're doing this and we're here and we're, we're, uh, we're this far along in, it's only been three and a half years we've been developing it, but we're this far along. We've done, you know, dozens of interviews and we have great stories and great footage. And I just can't wait to sh- like, I, I, the line I'm using is that it's going to be the rare occasion where the move, the film is better than the book because there's things that I'm even learning here that I, that I didn't know. And I wrote the book. So it's, it's, uh, it's great fun. And it's, I, I'm, I'm, I, every time I think about it, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm dumbfounded because I never felt like something I could do. And yet here we are, we're doing it. And, you know, I, and I think it's understandable that a lot of people always don't realize and, and it, you and I included, yeah. you know, from, from, you know, from print to screen, how many moving parts there really yeah, are, For sure, you know, uh, you, it's, it's almost, you got to start a book somewhere, right? You have yeah. to get your foundation, your notes, your team, a place to, to collect your thoughts and then go from there. The book is done. So you mm-hmm. got that done. And now to take this and branch it out into and the SNY platform, many will be familiar because of the Mets, but they've done some great documentaries. They did them on the miracle Mets. They've done some Islander features Mm -hmm. on the local hockey teams. They did that wonderful summer of 94 piece. Um, So they know what they're doing when it comes to something like this. And, and, you know, for someone, if anybody, for for those who have read the book or interested in reading the book, you don't have to know all that much about the whalers, or even you know the franchise to itself. If you're a hockey fan, it's a good read because it, it dives into so much more than that, and just that camaraderie that the players not only had with one another, but the the, the city that they represented. Yeah, and certainly in the community that surrounded them, and and I just think that's you know the more I I learn about it, the more it drives my thinking, and the more the more I realize just how uh, of a different like how like I've just how unique th- that whole time was in sports and in, I mean, hockey to some degree, because hockey's always been sort of niche. It's become far more mainstream over the past 25 years since the, the Whalers left, but just how, um, and you know, it's, it almost leaves, I think that whole era leaves pe- some people like myself to some degree longing for sort of things when things were simpler, when things were less business oriented, when things were less, you know, when, when monetary configurations were not, the sole driver of everything when a Hartford, Connecticut could have a professional sports team. Um, and, and the greatest players of all time could call it home and, and not only call it home, like could, could, you know, be putting it like Ron Francis is like top five in the NHL history and points played there for a decade. And uh, so it, it was, you know, I hate, I don't love the nostalgia element of it because it's always like, Oh, wistful for some time that may not have ever existed. But in this case, you know, there's definitely a nostalgia piece there that I love uh, diving into. And I think the cool thing and what the story that I really want to get across to people and I've always sort of wanted to get across to people is that there was a hockey team there. This was not a this this is not like some, you know, you see the logo everywhere. You see the hat, the jersey, NHL stores sell that stuff. The the Hurricanes are going to wear the jersey on the ice with a white jersey tomorrow for the first time. And we know we met some people today who flew down from Connecticut just to see the white jersey on the ice which is kind of amazing you know it's like this pilgrimage from in Hartford but I think 
what people forget is like that that there was a hockey team there was a team and like a, a, a damn good one in some cases like stanley cup caliber contention just because they you know they didn't you know there were years they didn't get out of the first round there were years they lost in game seven in the first round or the second round and people think oh well yeah hartford it was a joke but like there were you know great players and great person uh, personalities and some uh and, and great teams in hartford connecticut in the war whaler uniforms and I think that's, I mean, for me, that's the point I want to get across to people is like, yeah, you see this boom of merchandise and the logo is exceptional. And honestly, I feel super, again, speaking of serendipity, we got Peter Good, who designed the logo. We got him on camera in the summer of 2022 before the before we had landed SNY, but we got him on camera to speak about the Whalers logo. And then last year he died. So like we have wow. an interview with Peter Good talking about, um, how he came through with the logo and then Howard Baldwin, who was founder of the team, the, the movie producer who, you know, produced Ray and, and uh, mystery Alaska and a bunch of other films, you know, he was speaking about, it, but like Peter good died and like just suddenly he was like in his eighties and he just passed away suddenly last spring. And it's like, like we got, well, you know, I, I feel he was a great person, great man, but like we got, and we have this, this clip of him talking that'll be in the documentary. So, um, I just want to make sure that I, I really want, just want everyone to learn what I did is sort of my goal. in in the, my career is just, you know, take what I learned and pass it on to everybody else to realize that like, you know, yeah, there was, you know, it's a little kitschy. It's a little weird brass bonanza. You play in the shopping mall, uh, you know, the logo, <laughs> Pucky, the whale, all this, all this goofy stuff people think of with the Harper Willis, but like that was someone's team. That was, that was, you know, the same uh, the on point on part or on par with, the Rangers, the Islanders, the Devils, the Flyers, the Pe- that was someone's team and it's gone. And the, the, not for, um, and that there were years where there could, they went toe to toe with the Bruins. They went toe to toe with the Canadians and could have won the Stanley cup. If a puck bounce here or there or a goal in overtime. And it just, uh, and what would be different if, if Hartford was still in there. So I think there's a lot of elements that I love diving into. I love the story. I love talking to people about it too. And it's something, um, that at some point I'm going to have to branch out and do something different than the Whalers, but uh, I'm going to, we're going to re- take, enjoy this ride as long as it goes. And you should absolutely. Again, uh, <laughs> the, the book is the Whalers, the rise, fall and enduring mystique of new England's second greatest NHL franchise, which is available on Amazon and SNY continuing with Pat and his team to develop uh, the mm-hmm. documentary. Pat, where we are now with this, and you, and you bring up that you're out in Carolina, Cur- yeah. Hurricanes, uh, currently rocking fourth in the East. But I, I do want to ask a question because it has become uh, such a big storyline and it's twofold. With the way um, you've got teams like Edmonton had recently that, that stretch of reeling off the 16 straight wins. Vancouver's playing good hockey. You've got the New York Rangers here with a 38-year-old goaltender who's got a couple of titles under his belt who has basically, along with timely goal scoring, been carrying a team that also possesses Igor Shesterkin. I mean, can you can you remember anything that has been this consistent um, in a league like the NHL in recent time? Because I certainly can't. I mean, this you know, has been remarkable. You know, there's it's 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 really just speaks to the Rangers. I don't and I I, I, I don't love things like aura and mystique and and things of that nature. But yeah. there's something too with the Rangers, but because like they. They, uh, you know, Jonathan Quick was shot last year. Like he, like he got traded twice. He got traded to Columbus, and then he got traded to Vegas. Vegas wanted him as a stopgap option, essentially, 
because they had run out of goalies. They had Logan Thompson was injured and Aiden Hill was injured and, and Hill came back and quick backed them up the rest of the season. But like quick didn't smell the net. And like you, and I think my thought is that I, I, people keep bringing this up to me about Chesterkin versus quick. I don't think there's a controversy at all because I think this is just ride the hot hand with quick until Chesterkin finds his form. But I, I'm get, I get a little concerned about Shesterkin, uh if I were a Ranger fan. I know Ranger fans are, you know. I think it's a, it's beyond that now that the, the the fan base and obviously the organization wants to get him right, but not sure. at the expense of winning games. No, of course. And like I think there have been moments like this in the past. Like I, I, I'll point to last season where, uh, you know, the the Panthers were fighting for their the Florida Panthers were fighting for their playoff lives, and who did they go to? They went to Alex Lyon in goal. And Alex Lyon won them like five straight games down the stretch, got them in as the eighth seed, started game one of the playoffs. And he, and he, I think he got pulled in game two in Boston. And Bobrovsky took care of the rest. And Bobrovsky was always going to be the guy. But you ride the hot hand until the hot hand cools. And then you go back to your guy. So I, I don't think it's a bad, certainly not a bad problem for the Rangers to have that quick as playing so well. Because, you know, you, you, we look back the past decade, and I know you and I have talked, we've talked about it in the past where there was so much concern about Henrik Lundqvist back before Shesterkin about always oh, playing too much, always oh, going to get worn out because it always happened. And, and uh, you know, they, they, they put too much in front of him. They, you know, they defend the, the house too much. They don't, they rely too much on Lundqvist. And it was definitely the case there, but you know, as well as I do, Pete, that there's a level of freshness a goaltender needs to have going into the playoffs and, and beyond. So like, if we're talking about, Needing, you know, having to ride Jonathan Quick, a two-time Stanley Cup goaltender, who's a Conn Smythe winner, who you you watched him beat your team in the Cup final. <laughs> yep. Like there are worse problems for you to have than oh no, what are we gonna do? We have <laughs> we have one, our starter isn't playing well, but our backup is is keeping us not only afloat atop the division. So I think I think Shesterkin's gonna get right at some point. I you know if I was not a Ranger fan. I would worry about the Rangers only because I know that Shesterkin's going to get right at some point, and and he's going to be fresh, and their their depth and scoring has been good, and their power play is pretty good. I know they had that lull about a month ago. It's funny. I think the bye weeks and the All Star break um, really helped a bunch of teams. Like the Flyers were going through it for a while, and they seem to be getting right now. All of a sudden, the Islanders I think have won uh, three or four straight games in a row. Yep. And the Rangers seem to be finding it, too. I think they've won three games in a row, too, where they were really, really scuffling right before the All-Star break. And uh, and now, you know, they, they knocked off Tampa. And uh, I, if I were the Rangers, I, you know, I I, I got to think I'm the best team, at least in the Metro right now, if not the East. I know there's Boston is there. We'll see what you know, whether the Bruins can keep this this run of – uh, what they're going through, but every team in the like I keep coming back, like every team in the Metro is flawed, and you know so we keep I keep waiting for the Devils to to come to stop giving up five goals or four goals every night, and, it's and that's happening. been an a, an eye opening downturn for Jersey yeah, there. I mean, sure. you know, you you knew that the Islanders potentially, even though they were better offensively last year. Um, that couldn't go on for so long where they no. didn't figure out how to put the ball in the opposition's net, the puck of the opposition's net yeah. with, with New Jersey. It's been just defensive, like, yeah. like almost like they're skating in mud. And yeah. they've gotten nothing between the pipes either. Yeah. And like, you know, they've had Jack Hughes out for a couple, a couple of stretches, which doesn't again, help. Came back, yeah. Yeah. Came out, came back last night and they lost. 
Um, uh, Nico Hischer was out for a while, their captain. So I think, you know, everybody in devil's land keeps waiting for this team to like snap out of it. And you look at where we are in the season, and it's getting late early here. It's getting late, late here, frankly, um, for them, where they're outside the playoff spot and they've teased some, you know, some good play here and there that, you know, three games in a row, four games in a row, Hughes gets injured. They have this whole distraction and, and they lost two roster players with this hockey Canada scandal, which is, um, you know, certainly the most of any of any team. Michael yeah. McLeod was one of their better, better faceoff guys, not to make it about hockey. It's a disgraceful uh, thing. But yes. um, they've had some really, really, you know, they've had some huge adversity this season that uh, they're, they're lucky to be in a playoff race at all with what they've gone through, frankly. With, you know, if their offense wasn't as uh, consistent as it is, they would be sniffing the, you know, the bottom of the league. And you mentioned the Islanders. And I just, with them, I just find it hard to believe like they like that they can that anything they do will be sustainable come playoff time. Like maybe they'll fake their way to the playoffs as as a wild card. They did it last year, right? But they 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 lose so many games in overtime, and I I just I know they're scrappy. I know they're talented. I know Horvat. I know Barzil's great. I know Sorokin's great in net. Um, they have Dobson's having a terrific season. He really, I mean, he's second on the team in points as a defenseman. Yeah, he's, and he's top. I think he's top three in the NHL among defensemen in points, behind Makar um, and I'm sorry, Quinn Hughes and uh, Evan Bouchard from Edmonton. But uh, you don't get points for for losing an overtime in the playoffs. Like they got eliminated in overtime in the playoffs last year, and like it's fine to to fa- again. I, I use the term "fake your way" because you. you you, the little the points fairy gives you points for losing in overtime, but when it comes to playoffs, you you, you got to win. You got to win games, and they don't win consistently enough for me to consider them a contender. I can't trust Philadelphia, especially without Carter Hart again with the Hockey Canada stuff. And um, Pittsburgh's kind of lying in the weeds a little bit, but something's off there. They're 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 getting up there in age, and I just there's a lot of things. Um, the Rangers and Carolina has been. I always worry about Carolina come. Carolina's offense come playoff time. I know they scored all those goals against the Devils last year. Um, uh, they scored all those goals against the Devils last year, but then their offense completely fell off a cliff in the conference final. And I know Bob Rowski had a big part of it, but um, it, it, the only team—I mean, the only team that's there in the Eastern, really in the Eastern Conference—is Boston. And what did they do last year when they had this epic regular season? So I think. Um, the league is wide open. The East is certainly wide open. And I, if I'm the Rangers, I, I would have to like my chances. So when you, with that in mind, what you say, they bo- let's let's eliminate Boston and Vancouver from this next question because okay. I think they are as advertised, even though you saw what happened with Boston last year against Florida yeah. after that historic season. The Florida Panthers, New York Rangers, <sighs> Dallas Stars. Cup contenders legitimate in your eyes? Uh, yeah. You know, I would put Colorado over Dallas. Okay, because I, makes I, sense. Although Colorado, to me, I saw I actually watched Colorado last night, and the goaltending scares me with them. Uh, they have everything else, all the pieces. McCarr is exceptional. McKinnon put you on your edge of your seat. What a player to watch, especially to watch live. But um, their goaltending is is dicey. But that, Colorado's been my pick all year. But I say, you know, the range. I you got to say the Rangers are a cup contender because I you got to think. Real Shesterkin is going to come out when playoff time is there, and there and everything is there. There is some level of concern with the Rangers as far as five on five play versus power play. 
I think Panthers for sure. As long as the, the question is Bobrovsky again, um, you know, can he keep it up over the course of, I mean, when will, will he hit this? Like, will he fall off a cliff? Like, will, like there's been enough evidence of him playing uh, very, like obviously carried them to the final last year, but there's also enough evidence of them, uh, you know, him failing in, in big spots that, I'd be concerned about him. That, but that's again, that's the only thing that would concern me about Florida, Dallas. Um, man, if there's a team lying in the weeds right there, that they have it all, you know. And Jason Robertson's not even scoring for them, which is kind of the scary part for. But they're right, you know, they're right there with with uh, Colorado. You know, I I don't. I think you mentioned Vancouver will leave them out, but they and they have all the pieces too. I think you know I. I I would say those teams are cup contenders. Those four teams are cup contenders. I think, will they win the cup? Would I take Boston versus the field? I would take the field. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm sort of working all these things out in my head because uh, I want to give you a good answer, but I'm sort of – Yeah, no problem. Here. But, um, but I, you know, I, I don't – I also, you know, you can't forget Vegas either in there. Definitely not. Hit, hit, hit a skid here, um, but they're still loaded. I, you know, I would say the teams you named are, are cup contenders, but, you know – you watch the sport enough as I do that this when you get the playoff time to pick a legitimate team and call, as a and call them yes that team will win the Stanley Cup is is a fool's errand because yeah. we would have all said like Boston. last year I remember you couldn't pick you couldn't pick against Boston you could not pick against them and they didn't even get out of the first round so it's uh it's why we lo- I love watching hockey it's why I love watching the playoffs I'm addicted to the playoffs I can't get enough of it but um but to to where we are in the standings right now you know, the Rangers hit their skid. Uh, Vegas has sort of hit its skid. Colorado's in the middle of its skid right now. Um, but, but those, yeah, Florida, Rangers, Colorado, Dallas, I would say are, are legitimate cup contenders. Listen, we're going to have plenty of, uh, of time to talk about this, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but, Pat, always a pleasure, man. I, the, the news on the book turning into documentary is nothing short of fantastic and i know yeah. you're going to be you are busy down in carolina getting ready for the hurricanes game and we got the stadium play. series next week too it's coming to, to met life we're gonna go yeah. gonna be out there so that'll be fun met life met life had a busy week too with the stadium series announcing the world cup final in 26 yeah. um it, i mean it's a busy time uh listen i know you're busy man i just wanted to thank you again enjoy the super bowl brother and i'll talk to you uh enjoy the game sunday and i'll talk to you dude good luck with everything thanks bud be good i'll talk to you soon that is the great and uh, my buddy Pat Pickens from the game day uh, chiming in with his Super Bowl prop bets, right? He likes, uh, you know, a lot of those bets that we might not take individually, parlay them. Christian McCaffrey, can he score twice? I'm sure. Run over 90 yards. Brock Purdy, almost a lock, right? You would think at 249 and a half to throw for more than those yards. Uh, we both like the Niners outright. Pat likes the under at 47 and a half. Right now I'm sitting on the over. Uh, We'll get into a little NBA as we reset here. Super Bowl week, the Super Bowl less than 48 hours away in the final matchup of the season, Kansas City and San Francisco. As always, should be a good one. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Sports Today with Peter J. Yeah, you know why you're subscribing all over the place right here on Podbean. We host live Fridays at 7 p.m. on the East Coast. Apple Podcasts, Google, Samsung, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, the works, right? Couldn't have done it. The continued growth of the show without you, the listeners, and I am forever grateful with that. Obviously, the biggest news coming out of the NBA, out of what happens on the hardwood, 
has been this trade deadline tracker. So whether it be P.J. Washington going to Dallas from the Hornets with a couple of picks, including uh, Seth Curry heading over, Big news in Philly, as they get another score, they're going to take Buddy Heald from the Pacers, a couple of players and picks, including Doug McDermott. That was through the Spurs. Marcus Morris in that three-team deal goes to the Spurs, uh, who also receive a second-round pick from the Clippers. So there's a lot of moving parts there as we've gone around the league and seen what has transpires. You look at the Lakers, not much. All right, and that's a Lakers team. You know, there had been, you know, Reports of uh, unhappy LeBron. I mean, where have we heard that before? Uh, as great as he is, uh, not a surprise to hear things like that. LeBron might be upset with something taking place in the front office. Lakers, good team, not great. Playoff team, yes. Do they have pieces that they could move or get better? You would have thought so. So I don't think the trade deadline was overly useful or kind uh, to the Los Angeles Lakers. On the opposite side of that, I thought it was pretty damn positive for the New York Knicks. All right, this is a Knicks team. That has won 16 of 19 since the acquisition of OG Ananobi from Toronto. Now, along with a slew of other players that I'll talk about in a moment, Ananobi was reevaluated for an injury. He'll be reevaluated again in three weeks. So the Knicks will be without his services. You've got Julius Randle banged up. Jalen Brunson banged up. As good as those two have been, Isaiah Hartenstein is going to miss Saturday's game against the Pacers due to an Achilles injury. So the Knicks continue to plot along third in the East despite these injuries. So what do they go out and do? The Knicks over the past decade plus have been synonymous with ridiculous, especially when it came to decision-making. Not the case with Leon Rose and company. The Knicks go out Thursday, grab Bojan Bogdanovic and Alec Burks from the Pistons in exchange for Quentin Grimes and then reserve players, Ryan Archidiakono, Malachi Flynn, and two future second-round picks. Why is this big? Number one, it brings two veterans to a Knicks team that continues to build the right way. Number two, Tom Thibodeau has had a love affair with Alec Burke since he left the Knicks a couple of years ago. Now, he doesn't have to be thrust into this starting rotation for the Knicks, but at a 40% three-point shooter, adding him into that rotation to basically fill the shoes of Quentin Grimes, who's your quintessential 3-and-D player, this was a big move for the Knicks. And oh, by the way, Bogdanovich comes on board, who can slot into one of the starting forward positions while... Randall continues to heal. Anunobi continues to heal and play good basketball. 20 points per game for a lousy Detroit team. The Knicks go out and make two savvy, complete moves to provide the garden and this Knicks fan base and the front office and the team with what it needs moving forward. This is a team that's been playing good ball outside of those injuries regardless particularly Jalen Brunson, and you heard how well he's played in the open. And the, the strong play on the interior, now with Hartenstein, who's banged up and he's going to miss tomorrow's game, as I said a moment ago, against the Pacers, Precious Achua inside. They've been eating on the offensive glass. That's been big. So now to add two pieces like this, because the Knicks are going to get healthy, and now you've got these veteran players back in this rotation to give you even more depth. Mitch Robinson hopefully comes back later in the season. That gives you more size and more ability to rebound on both ends. The defense has been better. Obviously, Anunobi comes in as a two-way player. That was 
the get there when they wanted him from Toronto to move on from Barrett and company to bring in a player like that. Now, the Hartenstein injury, hopefully it doesn't linger past this weekend. Randall will be back. Who else this move helps is Josh Hart, who's been playing almost 40 minutes with the revolving door of injuries as Jalen Brunson continues to recover from being banged up. And how good is the play? You You talk about adding a shooter like Bogdanovic and Burks. How good is the play lately? of Dante DiVincenzo been. So the Knicks have elements for success here, more than success. A team that was probably built to make a pretty damn good run already just got better. With that trade, the Knicks got exponentially better. And I think it's a big deal. And it's certainly something that obviously the meat of this show was centered around the Super Bowl with the trade deadline expiring Thursday night. These moves, when they get finalized, when these new players make their debut, and it looks like Bogdanovich and Burks will do that Saturday for the Knicks against the Pacers, we'll have plenty more to talk about as this goes on, especially with the football season coming to an end. But from an X's and O, wins-loss perspective, and there are a couple of teams that improved at the trade deadline, I don't think at this moment, if you factor in the deal that they made to bring Ananobi, to the Mecca a couple of weeks ago, anybody had a better night than the New York Knicks. With that in mind, we'll put a bow on this edition of the show. Again, a special thanks to everyone who called in. Um, Obviously, the great Pat Pickens, uh, who came on from the game day to give us some of his best bets for Super Bowl 58 between the Chiefs and the Niners. Again, Pat and I both like the Niners outright. I like it something to the tune of 28-24 in favor of Brock Purdy and San Francisco. If I had to give you an MVP, I would probably say if San Francisco wins, there's a pretty damn good chance that the MVP is Brock Purdy. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's a pleasure. Couldn't done it without you. I'll see you next week, same time, same place, Friday, February 16th, right here, 7 p.m. Eastern time on Sports Today with Peter J. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. And as always, go Irish. Listen to Sports Today with Peter J. Every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. We'll see you there.